Welcome everyone to episode 130 of the Reds Unrestricted Podcast. I am your host, David Comerford, and I'm going to be taking you through Liverpool's 4-3 win over Spurs. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So, another mental Liverpool game after the one against Nottingham Forest last week, but this was probably a level above that, maybe even a level above the game against Arsenal um, we saw earlier this month too. Liverpool go 2-0 up inside the first five minutes thanks to Curtis Jones and Luis Diaz. By the 15th minute, they're 3-0 up courtesy of Mohamed Salah penalty. But then the game starts to drift a little bit and before half-time, Harry Kane gets one back for Tottenham. 15 minutes from time in the second half, Liverpool have managed to hold on to that 3-1 lead but Son reduces the arrears for Spurs. And then, in the 93rd minute, Richarlison, of all people, looks to have snatched an equaliser for Spurs. And it would have been the first time ever uh, that Liverpool have led a game 3-0 at Anfield in the Premier League and failed to win. But then, a mistake from Lucas Moura at the other end. And Diogo Jota pops up with the winner for the Reds. Jürgen Klopp charges down the touchline. Screams in the face of, face of the fourth official and manages to pull his hamstring, which in all the annals of crazy Jürgen Klopp celebrations is one I have to say um, I haven't seen before. So to try and review that game in three words was difficult, but I went with Jota embarrasses Richarlison um, because I think that captures just how satisfying the end of the game was. We saw how wild the celebrations were for Richarlison, who's obviously a substitute for Spurs, because he's not scored in the Premier League for his new club since a £60 million move. And Liverpool fans have been letting him know about that on social media, probably myself among them. Um, so you almost feel like it had to be today that he'd get it in these circumstances at this ground where he was getting booed really heavily with every touch. Um but then it was, in a way, the most Everton thing that could have happened, even though Everton weren't even playing that. That Liverpool went up the other end and, and got the goal. And Richarlison, who'd, who'd shushed the crowd, who'd done his, his pigeon dance with um, with Hung Min Son after the goal, well, he, he let out a wry smile um, as uh, the scenes erupted around Anfield, didn't he? Um, so, as James Pierce said on Twitter, if Carlsberg did endings, it would probably look something like that so let's kind of try and break down that performance then um which started off so promisingly and, and really almost deteriorated from there to the point where Liverpool have really scraped over the line before the game I was as confident if not more confident than I've been for any Liverpool game all season and that includes games like probably Forest at home last week another relegation contender um Includes sort of the away games against the teams at the bottom too, because Liverpool have, have always stepped up at Anfield and, and and even more so than that they've stepped up against the bigger teams at home and the manner in which Spurs collapsed gave you the impression that under any sort of adversity as much as they had come back at home in midweek it's very different on the road as they very brutally found out at Newcastle. Um, so you thought you know if you if you did put them under pressure that they were going to buckle. And the first fifteen minutes were, you know, I didn't expect it to be to be that extreme, 
but that was an illustration of the point really you had Tottenham fans leaving the ground even when Salah's goal went in and what a brilliant start from Liverpool in terms of the quality of their attack and play um, excellent ball from Trent for, for the goal um, for Jones another assist for him he's going to end up kind of near the, the top of the Premier League assist charts even though you know, he barely had any for a big stretch this season, which says a lot about how sort of inspired he's been in this new role. Watching the goal back on match of the day last night, you can see how as Salah plays the ball back to Trent, he's already assessed the options in the area. And then it becomes a pretty simple matter of playing the ball to the back post um, for Jones with his first touch. It's a perfect ball. And it's a really nice composed finish. And Jones, I was impressed by today. I thought it was interesting that... Klopp made changes to the midfield, but he uh, dropped Henderson rather than um, taking Jones out of there and obviously putting Elliot into the team. It's interesting that Thiago was missing. We'll, we'll have, still have to see what happened. I don't think Klopp addressed it post-match yesterday. Um, but if Thiago is injured, obviously as frustrating as that would be, you feel that it kind of opens the door for Jones to start maybe the remainder of the games this season or maybe all but one. If he hasn't done that already, um, really impressed by his uh, defensive tenacity yesterday. Even sort of aside from the goal, I thought it was what. Whilst I haven't been sort of overly impressed, I think compared to a lot of people by his recent run in the team, which incidentally is his longest um, in a Liverpool shirt. Um, I, I I think he was one of the better performers today. Second goal. Really nice pass from Mohamed Salah to Cody Gakpo. Cut back for Diaz, who makes a really sort of predatory run across the front post. Great improvised finish from there. And it's 2-0. And what a moment for Diaz after the injury hell he's been through this season with sort of a, a layoff from October to December and then yet another issue that keeps him out until April. Um, and a really strong performance from him. I didn't expect him to start, but it was probably like the pre, a pre-scheduled change on the hour mark really to, to make sure Liverpool weren't overloading him. But when he is on the pitch, he, he doesn't look like he's really feeling the effects or it's going to need that much time to get to full sharpness. So, yeah, um, great moments and uh, great goal. And then the game drifts, really. And Liverpool think they've won it. I think we all do as fans. Um, especially, they, you know, they know the manner that, that Spurs collapsed against Newcastle and maybe they thought it was just going to be a kind of similar scoreline, really. Um, the game became too easy. You know, Liverpool slowing down to a walk and pace really in possession, um, as if it was kind of much later on in the game than it was. And and the bigger issue was that they was kind of switching off, out of possession. They they were cruising t- towards the final whistle, even though it was too early in the game. And initially, it was just like it was a bit casual, but then it became kind of a bit negligent. You'd have to say. And you had Spurs in a position where they were really on the ropes. And you could have knocked them out. We saw Newcastle do that last week. But then you make the mistake of allowing them to regain confidence. Um, and you pay the price for that. Um, the only shot they had before the 39th minute was uh, Pedro Porro trying to lob Alisson from 40 yards. And that was such a harmless effort that Alisson saved it with his chest. So... The threat had been virtually non-existent. I mean, they they couldn't even get into the full box. But then, 
it's almost a collective lapse. And the biggest culprit w- was Robertson. You'd have to say I mean, he makes mistakes for two of the chances Spurs have. Um, we see Son have an effort cleared off the line by Van Dijk. Um, then Perisic um, absolutely does Van Dijk. You'd have to say, I mean, it's another moment that you don't want to see back if you're him. Pretty embarrassing. You'd have to say, I mean, m- maybe slipped, but it's still still being completely grounded in a situation where you'd expect them to, to deal with it, certainly. He talked this week about how this season's been sort of difficult for him and that he expects to regain his consistency. While it, to be honest, with, with so few games left, it doesn't look like there's going to be kind of a a sustained improvement from him at this point. And Neville was saying in commentary how uh, Dyer and Romero need the season to end. Well, I think you might be able to say the same for, for Van Dijk, um, unfortunately. And yeah, the ball into the box. And no matter how many times I watch it, I don't understand why Andy Robertson leaves Harry Kane. I mean, maybe somebody else can explain, but to me, you basically, you have the biggest threat on the pitch, one of the biggest threats in the league marked, and then you leave him free. Um, and there's not really anyone at the front post that you're marking either. And you're not going to get out to Perisic in time to make any difference to what he can do. So I thought that was quite bizarre. And then Kulisevsky very nearly making it uh, 3-2 afterwards. So it could have been a one-goal lead at half-time, but even though it was 3-1, it's rare that you'd lead by that margin and still feel so uneasy. And I think there was kind of a real prevailing sense of unease at the break. If you'd said beforehand that, that that would have been the scoreline, then most people would have been like, okay, well, that's great. We'll probably just cruise home from there. But no, it felt like it felt like something was coming in the second half, especially if Klopp couldn't, you know, really give the players a jolt. And the second, it was like Liverpool held it, like I said, until the 77th minute at 3-1. But you never got the sense that Liverpool were really in control of the game. And then... You know, we'd seen Son hit the post already, and Romero as well. The Son opportunity was a difficult one where he hit the post, but you know he he is, especially when he plays Liverpool, a pretty lethal finisher. So you you've got to be braced for that. Um, and then the goal that he scores eventually after missing a few, it stems partly from Liverpool's defence just being completely outlined. I think there's sort of two and a two, um, with Canate and Trent in front. Son obviously is it an intelligent enough player without any doubt to, to exploit that space runs in behind slots it in and it's 3-2 and then you're just trying to sort of get to the finish line it didn't look like Liverpool were going to be able to score a fourth so they needed to just see it out um, but Richarlison gets the goal and the way it went in was absolutely agonising with sort of just looping over Allison. I mean, I don't know how many seconds it was, but essentially as soon as the action restarts, you see the ball getting looped up towards the uh, Liverpool left. Mora tries to play it back to his goalkeeper. Jota intercepts. And I have to say, it was an excellent finish. Sometimes you actually lose sight of the, the goal itself when you're so focused on celebrating it. But yeah, fantastic finish from him. It's really the kind of clinical um, striking instincts that I associate with Jota. Um and uh, obviously the wild scenes at Anfield, like like I've already spoken about. The thing with Klopp and the fourth official, I mean, it wasn't great. It's one of them where you laugh when it's your manager. If, it, if it's anybody else, you, you're calling them classless, basically. Um, he got the instant karma. Anyway, with his, uh, with his hamstring, I suppose, maybe he doesn't even need the uh, inevitable fine or punishment that he's going to get from uh, the FA for doing that. But it was interesting to see the game so sort of emotionally charged. I think Klopp was sort of, 
obviously wasn't happy with the, some of the decisions that were being made in the game. Ryan Mason too with the um, the high boot from Jota. Um, but even though it did sort of more have the feel of a battle for, for fifth because of the results that had happened earlier in the day, um, it was still an incredibly emotional occasion um, by the end really. And um, there's actually quite a good tweet on that that I saw yesterday. So I'll just give me give me a second and I'll bring it up because it kind of emphasizes how this was something of an emotional roller coaster, even though the stakes were actually um, pretty low in the end. So so he says, this is uh, Danny uh, Corcoran on Twitter. Football is amazing because I just went from joy to calm to anger to fizzing rage to nuclear rage to uncontrollable joy to can't stop laughter all in the space of an hour and a half of a game that didn't even really matter that much in the grand scheme of things and um i think that's a perfect summary really of, of what we've what we've seen at anfield there um a reminder before we get on to kind of our general feelings about the game that if you're listening on spotify please do give us a five star review it means a lot to us and it only takes a second um and also leave a positive view on any podcast platform you're using and remember that if you uh, follow the podcast, it'll appear in your feed. And if you press the notification button, you'll get a, a message on your phone every time we post a new episode. And you can also email us at redzumrestrictedpodcast at gmail.com. And that's in the episode description as well, um, if you want to get in touch with us on there. So my conclusions from the game, I think, let's take a moment to just bask in the fact that we have put a run of victories together. It's four in a row. And in a season that's been so miserable, you know, let's enjoy that. Let's not let it pass us by. Um, and I think there's definitely an argument for enjoying the positive vibes. I mean, it was, it's something that I've sort of said all season, really, is that I just want kind of things to salvage the season. I'm certainly saying that, um, even if it isn't necessarily going to make the difference, kind of Champions League-wise, it might still come a little bit too late to do that. Um, so you, you can kind of... There's times with with your football team where they're playing badly and winning um, and you can either choose to focus on the results or the, or the weaknesses and on the flip side when when they're you know playing well and losing some people are going to just be inherently negative looking at results and some people are going to be like well no things are going to change for us and it's hard to know where Liverpool are at fully I mean there are some problems I think today defensively the back four were just were poor in terms of carrying out maybe the defensive fundamentals and I don't know if that is the system but I think obviously some people are kind of making a connection between the change with sort of Trent's role and is that leaving them more exposed um it's hard to say I mean obviously Van Dijk needs to improve next season I think Farrell's mentioned it before on the podcast you know Liverpool's success they're going to bank on Van Dijk getting back to it, basically. Um, and it's obviously another tricky afternoon for him. Um, Robertson as well. I mean, there's, there's questions there about his sort of suitability for that role um, in terms of if he's going to be doing a lot more defending and a fair bit less attacking. Do you maybe want someone else there? I think those are difficult questions I'm off to get into fully at another time. Um, so it's hard to know whether it, they were systemic problems you were seeing there against Spurs that they were able to exploit or is it just your back four struggling themselves 
against Kane and Son, who are sort of players who can, you know, they can create chances against any team. I mean, it's one of the best duos, really, of sort of modern Premier League history, I'd have to say. And then they always torment Liverpool, and Alan Kane's got nine against the Reds now. Only Jamie Vardy has more among active players, and uh, Son has five himself, which is obviously going to put him quite high up on the list. And uh, some of Spurs' passing to kind of exploit the gaps was was excellent too. But, you know, if it is a systemic issue, the one thing I keep coming back to is Klopp is going to have a full pre-season. The players are going to get more used to the system. There's a lot of time to kind of adjust things and, and try and find that, that balance in terms of maximising the offensive potential of this and minimising the defensive risk, which is always going to be the uh, the balance you have to strike with the Liverpool system. The bigger concern is game management for me. And... Again, it comes back to what I was saying earlier about how the game was allowed to drift. And I think I don't want to bring it back to the midfield. I've already said, I think the back four, as Neville was saying in the commentary, would the issue today defensively. But I've got an issue with seeing Jordan Henderson and James Milner come on as subs to, to see a game out. And with Thiago injured, you don't really have anyone else there who you kind of trust to carry out that role. But Henderson, you're relying on leadership, really. Um, just to kind of settle the team and Milner basically relying on to break up play and we know how much Klopp likes to do that it's it's one of his favourite things to to put Milner in there and, and try and see the game out and it probably works more than we give it credit for but today you saw the risks in terms of Milner makes the foul to uh, to bring down Kane and uh, sorry I'm getting emotional about it by the sounds of it um, <laughs> Milner makes the foul to bring down Kane and then they score from the results on free kick. And for me, I want midfielders who aren't going to try and see a game out that way. I'd rather ones who can just, basically like Man City, you just circulate the ball under pressure from opponents because you're going to face a lot of pressure because your opponent's going to be going you know, hell for leather at that point um, and just and kind of see the game out that way. And Man City really are, I think, the gold standard for it. And Liverpool need to bring in midfielders who need to do that from the start of a game or off the bench. Um, that sort of, I suppose you call it like the technical ceiling of, of the midfield needs to be raised. And you know, Trent was saying after the game that top sides don't throw away leads in the manner Liverpool did today, and you'd have to agree. And, and Liverpool do have a little bit of a tendency to kind of allow games that they're winning to become a little bit chaotic to become contests again. And you know, that's fine for a team in this part of the table, but for a side that wants to be kind of getting right back up towards the top next year. It's something that has to be addressed, and I do think personnel plays a big part in it, as much as it is mentality too, of course, in terms of not um, thinking that a game's won, um, as Liverpool did against Spurs. In terms of this season's top four race, um, the game felt like it would have been a lot bigger. I mean, I remember a couple of months back being like, this has the potential to be a top four decider when you kind of looked ahead at the fixtures. Um, unfortunately... It didn't really pan out that way. Um, it, it felt more like a battle for fifth. There was a strange feeling of sort of low stakes before the game, which was removed by the way the game actually played out. Um, in a way, it's a shame that that goal from Jota m- might not count for more. But you also look at it and you're like, if Liverpool are going to get top four, that's the kind of twist of fate that might be crucial come the end of the season. And for me... Liverpool need to win all their games and Newcastle need to drop points. I'm looking at Newcastle, not Man United. 
the Liverpool side of things, it comes back to what I said earlier in terms of we are getting results at the moment, but we are riding our luck. Can we do that for the remainder of the season? I'm not sure. The fixtures look okay for us, um, but it's it's going to be difficult to to be flawless for the remainder of the season, certainly without an improvement. But I want to focus on Newcastle for now. Um, Arsenal next week, Leeds away, Brighton at home, Leicester at home, Chelsea away. So Arsenal is a game that, from Liverpool's standpoint, Newcastle need to draw and probably lose um, to give any hope. What's interesting is the way the fixtures work with Liverpool playing uh, Fulham on Wednesday. It gives Liverpool the opportunity to narrow that gap to three points um, before Newcastle play Arsenal. And as much as Newcastle have coped with pressure incredibly well um, and they're rattling off a, a winning streak that makes them look more than worthy of that top four spot. Um, does that change the dynamics maybe? But I think more in terms of just reducing that margin for error so Liverpool need to kind of get those next two wins and and then hope that Newcastle drop points and then basically the gap is six and then you're going to need them to lose twice from uh, Leeds away Brighton home Leicester and um, and Chelsea or, or obviously just kind of drop those six points I mean the goal difference is also in their favour as well so really you're probably going to need that extra point unless you can swing that and the gap is currently standing at 11 on there you look and you say, you know, Leeds are fighting for their lives, but they are so poor and Everton and, and West Ham have found out recently that it doesn't really affect Newcastle. I mean, they both got comfortably beaten at home, even though they're, you know, in a relegation battle. Um, so it looks like the, the golfing class might be too big there. Brighton could do something. You kind of wish it was away from home for Newcastle. But I mean, Brighton fighting for Europe, you know, Europa League themselves really you know um they might be able to get a result there um Leicester have got quality I mean more quality than their position suggests if they can get maybe a bit of a, a run going under Dean Smith they, they could be a dangerous fixture and then Chelsea who you can't I mean clearly on their day um they could definitely beat Newcastle the question you know the problem is that those days just aren't happening at the moment um under Frank Lampard and uh they're certainly going to not be you know at the end of the season they're going to be playing for 12th or 11th probably Newcastle what might be in that game needing to win for top four so the fixtures don't make for the most optimistic reading but I think let's just see if Arsenal can beat them um which is obviously a huge test for Arsenal as well kind of in terms of keeping their title ambitions alive um and then go from there really and hope that there's one there's one or two more slip-ups that Liverpool need it certainly looks more unlikely by the way I know Klopp doesn't sound optimistic about it at all um but I don't think we're quite in giving up stage yet you know Newcastle have been excellent this season they more than merit that position that they've got now but it's still a possibility that they lose you know three three or five it's not kind of you know asking for something ridiculous at this stage so Liverpool's next game will be against Fulham on Sunday they lost uh, to Man City they they gave Man City a couple of scares in this game they equalized when it looked like they might be in for a comfortable beating and there was a kind of a bit of there was a couple of penalty appeals as well um at 2-1 but they didn't create too many chances um within the game 
it's interesting that they're in a position where they're five points below the team ahead and five points ahead of the team below. So really, they should be the most kind of on the beach team in the league. I think you look at the game against City and it proves that that's not going to be the case. You know, they are still they are still fighting. And, and you know, credit to them, what a season they've had. Um, I think when we did our pre-season predictions on this podcast, I had Fulham and Bournemouth both as dead sets to be relegated and, uh, you know, Fulham's performance. And Marco Silva, certainly one of the managers of the season, same in fairness for Gary O'Neill, who has virtually made Bournemouth safe now. Um, so, you know, huge credit to them. I think they are weakened coming to Anfield. Mitrovic still suspended. They lost Tim Ream and uh, Andreas Pereira as well to injury in the game against Man City. So it might be a weekend for them that Liverpool go up against. But, you know, certainly a, a dangerous fixture. Liverpool will certainly be aware of that based on what happened on the opening day of the season, which really sort of set the tone for what was to follow, you'd have to say. Um, but like, like I mentioned earlier, absolutely sort of no room for error. Um, crucially, the second of three games at Anfield as well. So Liverpool need to kind of defend defend that home record once again. But um, we'll see we'll see how they get on um, on Wednesday. So if you've been watching this podcast on YouTube, um, please subscribe to the channel and um, like the video. And you can drop a comment as well. All of that will be really appreciated. And like I said, we will be back after the game against Fulham in midweek. But until then, take care.